Welcome to State House Soundbites, WITF's Pennsylvania Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Meyer, State Capitol Bureau Chief for WITF, and with me today are Wallace McKelvey, Penn Live's Patriot News, and Steve Essick of The Morning Call. Thanks, guys, for coming. Always happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So it's about, let's see, 12, 11. We are in Little Amps. That's just in case anything happens. So... Uh, to start off, we had, uh, Steve, we had an election this week. Um, listeners might be aware of this. Yes, we did. It was uh, a pretty important primary election for, um, you know, a, a statewide election. And one of the big things that happened was that we got a Republican nominee for governor. Uh, it's going to be Scott Wagner. The uh, I think lots of people refer to him as the trash king of York County. Um, yes, and that's um, not be detrimental. He's, no, no. He, he calls himself the trash man. Trash man. And so Wagner won the GOP nomination for governor. Um, you covered this, but I, I think we'll get into like, you know, the connotations of that win in a little bit. But this was an election that I think saw uh, just some shakeups of the norms in this state. Um, and we were talking about this um, with uh, our good friend Terry Madonna the other morning. But yeah. uh, you called this pretty much like the year of the woman. Yes, I, yes, I did. That is uh, as it related to the congressional races across yeah. Pennsylvania after the Supreme uh, State Supreme Court re- redrew the maps. We got a ton of women uh, running for office. They, they were actually, many of them were actually running before the State Supreme Court stepped in on uh, and sided uh, in, in a lawsuit that, that the existing maps w- were illegal. But eight, eight women won on Tuesday, seven Democrats and one Republican. That means that Pennsylvania's uh, all-male congressional delegation is now going to have at least one female because (laughs) down in the Chester County area, you had a Democrat uh, woman win and a Republican woman win. So they will square off in November. And you're probably going to have more uh, women uh, win that race, too. I think um, in Montgomery County, Madeline Dean, for, uh, former state representative, or I guess still is, uh, she will be, uh, she seems to be the odds-on favorite there, given the way that that county now is tracking more Democratic, and especially because of the anti-President uh, Donald Trump fervor in the Philadelphia suburbs, especially uh, among women. So there are plenty of... Um, Hot races coming up in November, and we should see one and possibly more uh, women go down to D.C. Also, you know, three or four of those women are in districts that were redistricted. Then, basically, the makeup of those districts lurched leftward. Yes. So they, we could very likely see possibly three, maybe four. Democratic women. Yeah, and so this is, I think, and that's kind of the larger point, too. It's, the, I mean, Pennsylvania's congressional delegation, the makeup is going to change, and that's largely correct. thanks yeah. to this Supreme Court decision. But um, also, l- largely, let's not leave out, two two of these men behaved very badly yes. and left office under sexual um, uh, clouds of uh, misconduct. Sexual clouds of misconduct. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Sexual clouds. Um, <laughs> you have yeah. a real way with words. words. <laughs> All right, yeah, and that's true. Uh, and we had, I mean, not just the uh, sexual clouds of misconduct, we had uh, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> what exactly like a is a sexual cloud? We don't even need to think about it is too the, hard. Is yeah. that the pheromones that just Wallace, don't need to around get the Capitol? Um, <laughs> probably, probably. Um, Charlie Dent's also 
also leaving under not a sexual cloud. He's exactly. just for, for yes. other purposes. He's retired. More like yes. a, a fed up cloud. A fed yeah. up cloud. I'm ready to get out of here. Cloud. Right, yes. right. Yes. So we basically, I mean, there's just a lot of turnover in our congressional delegation. Also worth noting, we're the largest state that has not had any women in its congressional delegation in terms of big states. Schwartz left to run for governor. Right, right. I guess we're, we're the largest one that doesn't have any. Yes. So, um, yeah, I, I just think it's going to be, it's sort of a sea change in our in our delegation. So, um, much more, I, I don't think also Pennsylvania's, you know, makeup is going to, you know, shift the congressional, like, balance of power necessarily, but it is going to chip into it, I think. Right, and, yeah. and what, what we will see is whether this alleged blue wave continues or whether it even um, crests yeah. in November. It, uh, it's, a, it's a long time till November in, in um, Lots could happen. political terms. Uh, the economy's better, that sort of thing, and you can see whether, you know, how some, if, if democratic politics plays well in, in these suburbs, which have uh, been Republican, and they've been Republican because of the gerrymandering, but also because Democrats did not do a very good job of competing since 2011 in districts right. that they should have. And I think that's actually a, a good point that I like to kind of reiterate when we can. Uh, you know, I think a lot gets made, especially in this state, especially with the redistricting. Well, if Democrats are losing, there must be some other reason. There must be some external factor. And sometimes it's just because they haven't run good candidates in the past. They've done a bad job in elections. Or, or any candidates. Or, yes. you know, in the last few years, the Democrats have not competed in a number of districts. Right. Now, you could you could argue that some of those districts were completely off the table right. for them. Right, you could. But a, even a lot in, of them Even are. in some marginal districts where maybe a good candidate, a veteran, someone who had a lot of experience, mm a good speaker, a good retail politician, maybe they could have won those seats, but Democratic Party didn't field any candidates. For right. Them. It's just, it, this is not to say, you know, the, the Republicans are not this evil brand of, of, of politics. They played the game. They won in 2010. They got the right to redistrict and to be in control of not just Congress, but the state legislature. Yeah. But the Democrats rolled, and they rolled big time, right. especially in the state house. They didn't really run anybody. You know, you, all you got to do is look at the campaign finance, as Wallace said. They didn't really run anybody at the congressional level. There's no reason Pat Meehan should have gotten a cakewalk every single year in right. Delaware County. Also, I, I think that they're gets to be a certain fatigue that happens when the same candidates run every time sure. for every election and the same incumbents are in office for years if not decades mm -hmm. and that's another narrative that i saw play out on t in the election this week yeah is uh the rise of social democrats and i wanted to talk about and yeah. women yeah. social democrats very very interesting and so yeah getting into the house um and senate races because we saw some real turnover just within the Democratic Party. And I say, I mean, you were saying, you know, we haven't had a lot of Democrats running in these contested races. You know, the party hasn't put up a full slate. They put up very full slates in the House and Senate this year, almost historically large slates of Democrats running. And many farther left of center than we've seen in Pennsylvania. And a, a lot of contested primaries, it's which in some of these even safe Democratic districts, yeah. you hardly ever saw before. Right. It was a bad year to be a Costa cousin. 
awesome. Oh my gosh, yeah. So, and that was the one I think is kind of just a perfect example. So it's a Dom and what's the other Paul, one? Paul. Dom and Dom Paul, Paul Costa. Costa. Uh, sort of a political dynasty, and from the Pittsburgh area, uh, both of them lost uh, to socialists, female socialists. Well, it, well, it, yeah. it, it is very similar to what happened in 2010 with the Republican uh, Tea Party wave. Yes. You saw a lot of hardcore conservative. Republicans come into office and say, I'm not going to compromise, I'm not going to raise taxes, I am going to oust this Republican who who would compromise on issues and in, in the better to make um, government actually function, I guess, right. is the right way. So with the Costas are a prime example of what happened uh, in 2010, where you saw a, a um, Far, far left, far right people come in and uh, oust incumbents. Granted, the wave was not as big as, uh, as the a, Republican. A, yeah, as, as as occurred in 2010, but it did happen. Yeah, for sure. And also, I mean, I think you do you did for a while have this sort of dynamic of far, far right Republicans and pretty middle of the road Democrats in the Pennsylvania legislature. I mean, the leadership in the House, especially, is and in the Senate is, you know, centrist in a lot, a lot of ways. You've got um, Frank Dermody, who's, you know, you know, he's pro, uh, pro-life. pro He's kind of an anti-abortion. Um, you've got a couple people like that in, like, high positions in the House. You have Jay Costa, another Costa, who's the minority leader in the Senate. So, I mean, I think those were the dominant forces in the Democratic Party for a long time. And now... Obviously, that's still largely in place, but there seems and, to be some and, shift. And this is the battle that I think we're going to see play out all of this year. Yeah. This tension within the Democratic Party of, you know, do you want more pragmatic, middle-of-the-road politicians? Right. Perhaps politicians that have been around forever and have a lot of name recognition. Uh, maybe they're pro-life. Uh, maybe they're pro-gun. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're pro-business. Maybe they look more like Republicans from two decades ago than Democrats. But they know how to work the levers of power and they know how to work across the aisle. That being said, Democrats have done a pretty bad job working across the aisle and getting anything done anyway. Versus this new wave of of younger, generally younger, more minority, more female Democrats, some of them uh, endorsed by Socialist Democratic Party. Um, and you know they they argue that well, it is it's sh- it, it's not uh, it's not out of left field to be in favor of gun control. Yeah, you should be pro-life. These are the their argument is that these are issues that sh- are not controversial. Mm-hmm. And the real the real question is whether the more left-wing part you know segment of the Democratic Party is going to win out over the more kind of middle-of-the-road, pragmatic yeah, totally. sector of the and Democratic there are, Party. There are, I think, just kind of like linchpin issues where, you know, the votes have been kind of the same for a very long time. In the legislature, for instance, anytime an abortion vote comes up, even in the last, like, 20 years, the vote has been more or less the same because we still have a lot of Democrats in Pennsylvania. I think it's a dying breed of Democrat that are, you know, anti-abortion. Well, no, it's not just that. I mean, the... Re, uh, There's lots of issues. The yeah. Republicans in southeast Pennsylvania and the suburbs around Philadelphia, they vote their district, just like sure. every politician everywhere votes their district. So if they are Republican down there, they know that they're uh, a plurality of, of, of their voters or majority of them are pro-union, 
pro-abortion, uh, that sort of thing, that they are they, they vote that. Mm-hmm. And right now, you see that, in, especially in the state house, they are really marginalized, those Republicans. Um, they are marginalized by the much larger, extremely conservative bloc led by House Speaker Mike Terzai. So if Democrats are able to pick up those seats, you know, that Democrats pick up more numbers. Conversely, if uh, the Republicans hold on to that seat, they kind of already have a Democrat, but with an R label. Still, it is a, um, it, it should be interesting. Yeah. I, I think the, probably the most effective um, you know, strategy for either party right now is to vote your district. You know, to have a issue, to be to to take stances that are in line with whoever you're trying to represent. Sure. sure. You know, for example, Connor Lamb. You know, he won he a, a deeply red district, but he won it um, by being conservative on certain issues and more middle of the road Democrat on others. But you look at some of the urban areas, like the, the Costas. Sure. You know, they lost out to to more liberal. Their district changed, and they didn't change with it. No, exactly. and even in Philadelphia, actually, in another public radio yes. person, Elizabeth Fiedler. <laughs> I know. Former WHYY. WHYY journalist. She yeah. she won a primary against a union-backed kind of more middle. It you know, was the Dockerty uh, type, yeah, you know, yeah the, 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 the kind of Johnny Dock, yeah. old machine machinery, lost out to another candidate who was endorsed by the Democratic Socialist Party. Want to actually, in going into that vein of thought, another um, you know Philly party machine guy, not in a state race, in a in a statewide race. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, lost in the lieutenant governor election. Uh, Mike Stack yeah. lost to John Fetterman decisively. Fetterman is, you know, a Western PA, um, Bernie Sanders-endorsed guy, um, has sort of a folksy appeal, but definitely farther left than the current governor. And Stack had the Philly party machine, which had gotten him through, like, you know, a very successful political career thus far. Well, you know, um, I, I I expected Mike Stack to lose. That, that and was there not, were extenuating yeah, circumstances. Yeah. There, there, there was, no matter what him and his wife allegedly did and how poorly they, they treated the state employees here to the point that Governor Wolf yanked the, the trooper detail and yeah. some other services and that kind of thing. Mike Stack did not have a, a unified Philadelphia machine at all. He's from Northeast Philadelphia. He's bickered a long time. His uh, his section of the Democratic Party has bickered a long time with uh, the Boyle brothers. One mm-hmm. of them is now in Congress, and the other one's here in the State House. Wasn't there an incident where like a, someone's wife threw, I think Stack's wife threw a soda on a boil? Yeah, there was that too. Yeah. But you know, it's just it's like, and 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 there was a candidate from Philadelphia running, so for lieutenant governor Nina job. Ma, yes. yes, and so they definitely did split some Philly. Hey, hey, yeah, exactly. But but Mike Stack's home community is not far from where I grew up. He grew up. Uh, he's a part of the state uh, where, where a lot of cops and firemen live. And so that that region also elected a Republican for state house, Martina White. And the only reason she's in the, in her position is because of that fighting among the Democrats down there. So he had his uh, work cut out for him here, and he didn't do a very good job of and it. And I think on that front, we should talk about John Fetterman because mm. yeah, let's get into I that. think this was less. I mean, and for sure, Mike Stack had a lot of things working against him. Uh, 
yeah, that scandal some really bad involving publicity. his treatment of staff and his use of government funds and so forth. My, yeah, Brad Bumstead in the caucus, uh, Paula Knudsen as well, did a lot of reporting on stack spending, and I think that probably did play a role. But if you look at the vote totals in, in even in Philadelphia, hmm. uh, Mike Stack still, still won, but uh, John Fetterman ate into his margins significantly. Fetterman did well across and, the and state. He I was surprised to see that. Basically all of the western three quarters of the state basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he lost I think he lost Lackawanna County uh, and he lost Dauphin County to Nina um, Ab- Nina Ab- Ahmad, Ab- yeah. Ahmad. Uh, yeah, I think Fetterman's uh, appeal is sort of strikingly broad, and he also does have uh, uh, yeah, an interesting range of positions on things. He's obviously very left-leaning. Um, yeah, he's a lot like Bernie Sanders in that he has supported, you know, people having guns within reason, especially in rural areas. He, you know, I think on some social issues is, you know, a little bit open to other, you know. Yeah, well, let's uh, say I, I, I've never heard a Democrat say they, they want to take anybody's guns away um, in, in any way, shape, or form. But the um, well, there's different positions on gun control. Yeah, exactly. But I still haven't heard anybody say, you know, I think most people are um, say, yeah, the Second Amendment is there, but you do need more controls. Now, sure, John, sure. John Fetterman, uh, it's it's funny, um, the PLCA intern, um, Jillian McGoldrick, who I'm working with, she noticed something on election night was John Fetterman's social media was blowing up. And it was all these people tweeting to him, all these young Democrats, young yeah. in their 20s, teens, late teens, saying, hey, I just voted for you, I just voted for you. You yeah. know, it blew up, whereas oh, he, everybody he's else He's been was. a very astute um, retail politician. He's good at And he's excellent himself. at social media yeah. and media in general. I mean, you have to remember John Fetterman, uh, like he actually was on the national scene five or six years ago. Yeah. He was on he was a regular guest on the Daily Show with yeah. with John Stewart. Well he was on the Colbert Report. A he got times. his home well not his hometown because he's actually from York County. Yeah. But the, the town that he was elected mayor of in yeah. Braddock, Pennsylvania, near Pittsburgh, and a really had been a very downtrodden old steel industrial town that saw that when when the jobs went away the town just kind of disintegrated. But he got Braddock on the map. He even got it in like a Levi's jeans commercial. Yeah. Uh, and so he, he made an, a name for himself with basically being a, you know, aesthetically, he doesn't look like a mayor. He's gotten a lot of And he of certainly doesn't look like yeah. a lieutenant governor. Sure. Now, I would argue that the aesthetics are probably the, you know, they're a bit overblown because you're also talking about a very, a very well-spoken, yeah, totally. uh, very sensitive guy. Harvard educated. Harvard, Harvard educated. educated. Comes from a, comes well from a wealthy family. family. Yeah. I'm, I tweeted this you did, on and I election that was night. Interesting, yeah. Because I saw people saying, "Oh, the odd couple, Governor Wolf and, and, and like, John Fetterman. Very similar. They're not that <laughs> odd together, aside from the tattoos, yeah. which I, I don't know. I don't think." Governor Wolf has a tattoo, but I don't know for he sure. He could. He could. But aside from that, <laughs> aside from that, they're very similar people. What they hold they very like? similar stances. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to brainstorm possible wolf tattoos. And I, I with uh, J- John Fetterman, what you see is not what you get. Right. As um, Wallace was saying. Right. So it is, it's very, very... Um, he, he is incredibly earnest, though. Like, he... 
I, I, I profiled him a few years ago when he was running for the U.S. Senate seat. Mm -hmm. The nomination ultimately went to Democrat Katie McGinty on that side, yeah. and she lost it. This was, you know, obviously the year of Trump, and it ultimately didn't go the Democrats' way in that race. But he's, he's very earnest, he's very serious about his town, and uh, I, I'm curious to see what he does as lieutenant governor if he is elected. Well, and that is an interesting point, because a lot of lieutenant governors have been given sort of special assignments by the governor. Stack never really was. Um, oh, oh don't, don't forget, don't forget. He grand marshaled a NASCAR race. He did, and he ran a marathon <laughs> that we got a press release about one time. Um, or a half marathon, he ran something. But anyway, yeah, so Fetterman could be given an assignment that's maybe related to his work in Braddock. I wouldn't be surprised to see him do something with, you know, struggling cities, that kind of thing. Obviously, you know, that's all hypothetical. We'd have to see. But, uh, oh, hey, that's Mark Scalforo just walked in. Hello. <laughs> but we would have to see. And I think there's a good chance he'll be given some sort of an assignment like that. If, you know, again, if Wolf wins re-election. Right. If, hey, on, if he on, wins, yeah. On first blush, uh, they do seem to have a better working relationship, at least on the ticket. I mean, we can't hypothesize. Maybe we'll they'll hate each other. Who knows? But... <laughs> I mean, the, the, they, they had a meet and greet yeah. with, like, a lot of TV cameras. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The day after the primary election. Wolf wore a bright yellow rain jacket. Fetterman wore his usual clothes. They looked very funny together. Um, so anyway, uh, that's Fetterman, an interesting kind of addition to Pennsylvania, you know, statewide politics, I would say. Um, and now I do want to talk about the governor's race as well. Uh, we saw Scott Wagner emerge victorious, as, as expected, um, over Paul Mango and uh, Laura Ellsworth in the primary. Now, <laughs> I think what's interesting is we are already starting to see sort of volleys from both sides on that. I think literally before F Wagner had even given his like victory speech, Wolf's campaign sent out an email saying, Scott Wagner's the worst of Harrisburg. He has um, purposefully blocked the severance tax on natural gas, that sort of thing. Um, so, I mean, what are you guys expecting to see from this, uh, you know, this race? I, I'm expecting it to be a bloodbath and to be a rehash of the 2014 election involving education funding and right. that sort of thing. Governor Tom Wolf is saying, I, I restored the billion dollars that was lost under uh, Tom Corbett, and let's get this on the record, and it's the truth. $655 million of that was federal stimulus money. $355 million was state funding. Yep. It is true a billion dollars was lost. Tom Corbett also had to deal with paying back pension obligations that his predecessors, Tom Ridge, a Republican, and Ed Rendell, a Democrat, did not make. Right. And Tom Corbett did not do a good job of explaining that. He lost, and now you have Redux. Tom Wolf versus Scott Wagner. And yeah. when I say it's going to be education funding, it's because that's what it's going to be. Scott Wagner has a track record. I mean, shortly after he came into the state Senate, he took local TV reporter Dennis Owens up in his helicopter, flying him around, saying, look at this school, look at that school. They're, you know, they have mansions here. They don't need extra money. So he came here with typical Scott Wagner background and was blasting schools. So that's going to come back against them. Tom uh, Scott Wagner, on the other hand, is going to turn around and say, 
Tom Wolf didn't raise money for schools. He never signed a budget. So, so the whole thing is going <laughs> to be nuanced. That's just yeah. a technicality. I want right. to say that right out. When Tom Wolf doesn't sign a budget, he's letting them become law. Exactly. You know, it's like he could also stop the budget, which would really not be making a budget happen. But he let them all become law. He just wanted some distance from it. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I do think we should point out, though, that the Republican primary yeah. for the for the the governor uh, for the gubernatorial election was a knockdown drag out fight in oh, which totally. you know Paul Mango and Scott Wagner were sharing barbs on the airwaves. Yeah, and that's and, been uh, talked about at And it was a it was a very close race too ultimately. Um, yeah, it was much closer than I thought. Yeah, and so I, I think you can expect some some of that I, I, I wonder what kind of ads we're going to get mm-hmm. now that it's down to the two candidates. Right, right. And if, if all that stuff will get dredged up all over again. I do want to perseverate for a second on the education thing because I think that's something where there's just a gross amount of <laughs> misunderstanding in this state about who did what, when, right. and why. And this really does go back to the fact that the economy crashed in 2008, 2009. Ed Rendell, in his Ed Put a lot of stimulus money into raising spending for schools. Be that, that that's because he couldn't get a tax hike yes. past the Republican-controlled legislature yes. at the time. So his solution was to put stimulus money that was going to eventually run out into schools, and he let that to Tom Corbett to keep up that spending once Tom Corbett was governor. Now Tom Corbett did not do that. He let the, I mean the stimulus expired while he was governor, and he didn't replace it with state funding because there was very little state funding at the time and because tom corbett took a no tax exactly so he was not gonna while governor um while while a candidate but but also that 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 history is is all accurate you know yes but again it was like 655 million in stimulus money that that went away they cut an extra 355 million Mm dollars for charter school reimbursements that went to the hardest hit school districts that have to have the most charter schools to help fund them they also cut the um, community block grant corbett's critics also point out that Corbett kept all the stimulus money in the corrections budget. So, you know, that's... He, he replaced it with other funding. With, with, with state money, yeah. So they never lost a dime. So that was part of the rub, too. And so it's going to be a um, rehash of, of a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And to Wagner's claim that Wolf didn't increase education spending, I mean, that's, I think, disingenuous at best. I mean, the governor, just because he didn't sign a budget doesn't mean he didn't lobby for it in every single budget. And, I mean, at the end of the day, that spending has gone back up. Right. I mean, we are investing more. We're back to kind of the level we were pre-recession in school spending. And so, I mean, I think that's... Wolf can, you know, Wagner can say all he wants, but under Wolf, the spending went back up. So, I mean, I think anyone listening, you are going to hear a lot of spin on this issue. It's going to be interesting as far as, uh, you know, the personality uh, fights that come out. Wallace made a great point. Everything Paul Wagner's camp did. Scott Wagner. No, I'm sorry. Paul (laughs) Mango. Paul Mango, Mango, excuse me. They've merged into one person. Everything Paul Mango dredged up, especially that cartoon commercial, is going to weigh heavy on um, Wagner in, in
in, in, in this general election. Yeah, and we already see the Wolf campaign putting out commercials of Wagner, like using kind of violent sounding metaphors and things like that. And so, I, I mean, I think there's no question there's going to be a lot of attacks on him, just like his personality. Right. And, and you know, so and Scott Wagner uh, also has uh, built himself as, you know, Donald Trumpish. Mm. So if he's going to go that, you know, Scott Wagner does not have the celebrity Donald Trump had when he won uh, Pennsylvania. So it, it could be very, um, I expect Wolf to win. Um, I could be wrong. I probably, he looks strong now. Yes, he looks strong. He's up double digits. Polls showed. Uh, so, it, but it's a long time away. But the um, Wagner campaign has has a lot of work cut out for him. So is the state GOP in making Scott Wagner more likable than some people think of him mm-hmm. because he generated that himself. Also, he's got to be concerned. I mean, since he's tied himself so closely to the president, I think if the president does something weird that tanks his own poll numbers, then Scott Wagner might struggle more as well. Um, so that's, I mean, there's lots and lots we could say about this, and God knows we're going to talk about it more looking ahead. But Wallace, you also had something um, on medical marijuana this week. Oh, yes. It, it never ends. No. So first, I'll try to keep the backstory short. But yes, Obviously, medical marijuana is a multi-billion dollar industry, potentially. 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 Uh, Very likely we'll get there. Um, And and back when medical marijuana, they were first kind of getting applications in for these permits, these very lucrative permits, Um, the state assembled a panel of people across multiple departments, like Department of Health, Department of Environmental Protection, and so on. And uh, they, they scored these applications. Uh, that panel, uh, despite state law saying that they, it, state law originally said uh, you, you, an applicant cannot have access to the members of this panel, but it said nothing about the public, and it didn't say anything about what happens after the permits are awarded. In many other states that have medical marijuana programs, the actual panelists' identities are are made public mm-hmm. after the permits are awarded. Yeah. That's been the general standard practice. Now in Pennsylvania the Department of Health has made a uh, made it they, their position is that these panels should always be they should be secret in perpetuity. Yep. Their argument is that if the names are out there, then the people would be subject to outside influence. And this is something you've been sort of, I, I don't want to say hammering them on, but this is something you've reported on a bit. Yeah. And and the, the, the reason that this is concerning to some good governance advocates, yeah. transparency advocates, is this. You have a lot of very powerful, wealthy, well-connected people behind the companies that receive permits. Uh, just, I don't want to beat up on him, but one example is John Hanger, mm-hmm. a former environmental secretary under Governor Ed Rendell, former policy secretary under Governor Tom Wolf. He has a lot of connections. We don't know, for example, who scored the application that he was associated with. Right. So we, uh, without that knowledge, we can't possibly uh, understand if maybe there are conflicts of interest. We also can't go back and double check because what very often happens with these pay-to-play situations, the campaign uh, uh, contributions, the sweetheart real estate deals, those kinds of things, they happen a year or two or three years after the permit was awarded. Mm -hmm. They don't happen before and they don't happen shortly afterward. If we don't know who was on this panel, then we can never go back and check to see if there was 
any kind of malfeasance. Right. So then now the new development that happened. The new development, the Department of Health, as part of their most recent uh, you know, regulatory amendments, mm-hmm. the one that uh, expanded the, the, the types of medical marijuana that were available to people, well, without ever saying it publicly, without doing any kind of press release, which they often do for these regulatory changes, mm-hmm. uh, they actually amended the temporary regulations. So not state law, but like the internal regulations the Department of Health and operates often under. And often this program has been governed by these sort of temporary yeah. regulations. Under those temporary regulations, uh, they added language to specifically say that the names, the identities, and other information about the panelists is not a public record. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what does this mean? This means, uh, well, we have some questions about what it means still, but it means that if you file a right to know request from this point onward, it would likely mean that you would have to fight the Department of Health, uh, but on its face, you would not have access to this panelist information. Mm-hmm. And I should say that I requested this information way back in May tw- tw- 2017, a yeah. year ago. And it's been a full year since then. The Department of Health has had a, a knockdown, drag out fight to keep it secret. Yeah. We, the, we won a, an appeal at the Office of Open Records. Department of Health appealed that decision mm-hmm. to the Commonwealth Court, and that's where it currently stands now. And we, we don't know, uh, most of the people I've talked to have said, you know, they don't believe this would take effect retroactively. Mm-hmm. But it ultimately, the, it's the judges who decide how it applies, where it applies, yeah. and so forth. And again, this well, is... Uh, I was going to say, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if the Department of Health can just unilaterally, within its own regulations, decide what is a public record and what is not, they are legislating, and therefore any government any executive branch at any level of government in Pennsylvania, be it your school board, your township, your state, could do the same thing, right? right? Yeah, uh, and, and this has drastic ramifications for public records access for everyone. Yeah, Not totally. just people who are seeking information from the Department of Health. And let's not forget, let me rub this in, I guess, <laughs> is government that works. That was Tom Wolf's uh, slogan in 24 to transparency, openness, government that works. And his administration is unilaterally trying to change the game as it relates to public And uh, I I sought comment from Governor Tom Wolf's spokesperson, and I, so far to date, I have not received it. When did you seek comment? Yesterday, before the story ran. I know he's not busy because he gave me a response very quickly this morning on something. Well, and also... um, He might be busy, but he did it, so... There are lawsuits still out there. Are are there not from applicants who lost that that are claiming the same... that that in in their lawsuits are, are claiming potential... Collusion, conflicts Conflict of interest, of interest highly Ross? connected people yeah. getting these very lucrative contracts. Uh, there, there are a lot of questions, and uh, let me be clear: I'm not saying that there is any funny business going on. We just don't know. Yeah, we can't say and that there isn't. You, you need only look to Maryland across state line to see the the consequences of this. You know, they've had lots of questions about how their program rolled out. And some of them had to do with the secrecy of that program. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, then you cannot possibly know for sure that everything was on the level. And was there malfeasance in Maryland? Uh, they, they have had a ton of lawsuits. It delayed the rollout of their program. 
And most of the accusations surrounded the panel that scored the applications there. So it is a big deal. Yeah. And, and the, the bigger ramifications of this is, you know, if it, if it applies retroactively or if it applies to all future requests, uh, you know, I, I talked to Eric Arneson about this. I talked Office of to, Open Records Director. Of the Office of Open Records. I talked to Melissa Maluski from the, the news association that represents newspapers in, in Pennsylvania. Right to know requests, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, there, there's a, there are bigger consequences to this. Yeah. So, for example, any agency that you request documents from, if they don't want to give you the documents, uh, potentially, if this is allowed to stand, they could... It could lead to other people, other agencies, after they get a right to know request and they say, oh, we don't want to release this, it could lead to them propagating new regulation that blocks that specific type of document mm -hmm. from being released publicly. And again, these new regulations were unilaterally created just within the department. It's not legislation. It's not law. They had a five-day public comment period, but I highly doubt I, I doubt very many people actually knew this was happening. They put it in a monthly bulletin. I didn't, didn't even they? know it yeah. was happening. They put it in a bulletin that runs on Saturday. Right. Five days meant that it became enacted on Thursday. Yeah. That's not a lot of time, and I don't know about either of you, uh, but even people who are connected to medical marijuana, they don't read the PA bulletin, especially <laughs> not on a Saturday. This is this is not transparency. Yeah. Right. And and you know what what you're describing about you know the the huge consequences of this is basically uh, going back in time to what Pennsylvania's open records law was before it was changed in the mid 2000s and before it was one of the worst laws in the country as still far as still not one of the good ones right it, but it's it's much much better and that that law allowed state agencies to unilaterally decide what was a public record and what wasn't for example pendot for the longest time back then refused to release its even locations of bridges or the condition of them yeah. and then meanwhile Many years later, they're, they're, they're crying that, oh, no, we, we need a fuel tax increase because we have the worst bridges. Oh, really? Well, you should have been telling the public that a long time ago. So this, this yeah. does have a lot of ramifications. And, and if you're a lawmaker, you should be very concerned over executive overreach here. And Eric Arneson, uh, who was uh, one of the architects of our modern, our current public records law, mm -hmm. um, he couldn't remember a situation before where an, a, a state agency after the fact, after you know a, a public records decision was made that 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 didn't you know that that was against their position. Yeah, he couldn't remember a situation where an agency did this, mm -hmm. where they 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 came in after the fact and changed their regulations to say, oh well, this isn't subject to public records. Right. Now, to be clear, Arneson did not make a qualitative judgment about whether this was a good thing or a bad thing that the Department of Health did, because for an obvious reason... It's his, not his role. Well, and his office will have to potentially make uh, decisions about appeals on this, because mm -hmm. I guarantee you there will be people who write to no request this information. Wallace. <laughs> and others, I'm sure. But um, yeah, so anyway, I think we'll leave it there. But there's, you know, we're going to, you're going to keep following this. Uh, if there's more information, we'll have you on again. And you can have some righteous indignation then as well. Um, but uh, anything else you guys are looking at in the coming weeks? Um, 
the budget should the be uh, budget. heating up pretty, pretty yeah. soon, I House guess. House is back next week. Is the Senate back next week? Yes, yes. The both of them the are House, back. Uh, the, the Senate starts Monday. The House starts uh, runs uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, which is a little uh, different little than weird. what they usually do. Uh, Prior to the primary election, everyone thought that this would be an easy budget season. We'll wait and see whether everybody wants to just get out of Dodge. Also, uh, they have to figure out what to do about this current budget because a federal judge yeah just shot, struck down at yeah. least three hundred million dollars of it. So they and they were that was already in limbo anyways. But right. they're probably going to have to fill that. So that makes a bigger deficit going into next year. And that's something we'll kind of tackle once we kind of get a sense of the full ramifications in the coming weeks. But uh, yeah, I, I've heard the budget negotiations won't really start in earnest until I think like last week in May. That's when they get a final fiscal report, the second to last one of the year. So we will see where we are then. Um, in the meantime, I think negotiations will start behind closed doors. They're already starting. And it'll be a fun, at least a fun month or so. Uh, maybe more. <laughs> depending on how it goes. Um, But we will leave it there for today. Uh, As always, thank you for listening. Thank you to Wallace, and thank you to Steve. Thank you. Always a pleasure. All right. We'll be back next week. 